As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. There are several times in the uh, four short accounts of the life of Jesus where he healed people. He healed a great number of people on occasions. He healed one or two on occasions. But on just a few occasions, he actually uh, reached out and touched the person. On some occasions, some people touched him. You call the woman that had an issue of blood, and as he was passing through a crowd, she reached out and touched his garment, and she was healed. But this text tells us that she, that he touched her. There are four counts of the life of Jesus, short ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the, in the Bible. And the accounts of his life that the Holy Spirit chose to inspire are, are chosen specifically for their content. They're short accounts. You know, John said, who wrote the book of John, he said, many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might understand and not believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life. So there, there are a lot of things that could have been written, but the Holy Spirit chose particular items. And so when we read the New Testament, if we keep that in mind, then we understand that for some reason these individual items are chosen for their importance. And I think the importance of this one is because the woman was touched physically by the hand of Jesus. Now, we are not in the physical presence of Jesus and won't be until after the resurrection. But we can be touched by the Lord in a very special way. And when we talk about being touched by the Lord, we're not talking about some sort of ethereal experience that might come upon us out of the ordinary of our human lives. There are people who sometimes claim that somehow in a dream or a vision or on some occasion something happened to them spiritually that they couldn't explain from a natural cause. Now, we are touched by Jesus in our soul, in our heart, and in our mind. And we're touched through the stories that we read in the New Testament about Jesus. Now, it's an experience that we can, we can have being touched by Jesus that is not unlike experiences we have in our physical realm. So if we're expecting something that's beyond the reasonable and rational and understandable, then we're waiting for something that's not going to happen. But we can be touched in our soul, our heart, and our mind by the hand of Jesus. We are deeply impressed, for instance, by the genius and imagery of an artist. If we stand before a, 
a wonderful work of art, we feel something in our being, and we're touched by it. Or if we hear a, a melody, a work of art in terms of music, and we hear a great musical composition, then we're touched. That's un we understand that. We have, we have a feeling in our being. It overwhelms us. It comes upon us. We, we feel that. The, the touch that we're talking about is like how we feel and how we react when we are standing over the crib of a newborn infant. We're looking in the eyes of a newborn child and we're marveling at the miracle of birth, of life that has come about. And we are moved by it. We are affected by it. We're stunned into reverence, as a matter of fact, when we observe new life being born, animal or human. We, it, it just overwhelms us. We're touched. I'm just telling you how normally and naturally you are impressed like we can be impressed with Jesus and with the touch of his hand. It's like when we witness a, an unselfish act of kindness. If we see someone reach out to a help, another helpless human being and extend themselves beyond what they should or normally would and extend themselves in an act of kindness, we're moved by that. It, it affects us. We, we have a, an emotional feeling and it actually touches us in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. We feel the impression. It's like when we see a brave and noble act, when someone else ignores their own safety, for instance. Someone runs into a burning building, disregarding their own life, their own safety, to rescue an innocent person from, from a devastating injury. It's like when we hear about a soldier who leaped upon a landmine to save his fellow soldier. It is an unselfish act that, that moves us, and we feel that. Or we hear about someone, or even see on TV, that someone breaks through the thin ice of a lake, and a rescuer comes, disregarding their own life, leaps into the water, knowing that they themselves could die, and yet swims and saves that struggling individual. That moves us. And we are, what we would like to say, we're touched. And it's like seeing the love of a son or a daughter who will disregard their own career and their own well-being and their own hopes and their own dreams to step aside and take care of an aging parent and suffer the consequences of not having been able to pursue their own dreams. That moves us. That touches us. All of these ways that we've just mentioned shows how we can be touched. They, these are normal. So what I'm saying is that when we read the story of Jesus and we open our heart to that story, he can touch us. That's how he touches us. That's the only way he touches us. But he does. He reaches in and touches us. Now, if we don't read the book, if we don't open the book, if we don't hear the stories, we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be touched. Something else may move us, but Jesus is not doing it. 
You follow? The Holy Spirit chose these stories about Jesus to put into your heart and your mind so that he can reach out and with his hand touch you. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we know this one. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we read about the love of God, the love of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, it's a moving experience. It touches us. In Colossians 4, verse 6, Paul said, Because you are the sons of God, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You respond because you hear the words of the Holy Spirit that He's given you about Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Hope makes not ashamed, but because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. Romans 10 at verse 9 and 10 says, If you will confess your mouth with your mouth, the Lord Jesus will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let's go back to the story we started with. The effects of the touch of the hand of Jesus. Now think. This woman, Peter's mother-in-law, was sick lying on a bed. She was in her sick bed. She was, she was not feeling well. And a company, people accompanied Jesus, Peter and the apostles and several others perhaps. They came into the house and Jesus understood that this woman was sick. He went into her bedroom and he touched her, took her by the hand. Now I want you to see the effect it had on her. She got up and went to work. She got up and went to work. She just didn't lay down and say, oh, I'll feel better later. She didn't say, well, I've been sick and it'll take me a while to get better. This woman got up and started immediately to serve other people, serve someone else. You may have known someone like this. I've known several. Women, dedicated, good, godly women, cared about Jesus, cared about God, cared about their soul had company unexpected, they didn't feel well, probably didn't feel well enough to get up out of their own bed, but they got up anyway, and they served other people. They served their guests. They took care of them. They went to work. When Jesus touches our hearts, we need to go to work. We can't just lay around and do nothing. We have to go to work. Work is noble. Sloth is devastating. Now, what I'm telling you is what the Bible tells me. What, what God has said about work. What your children have heard or will heard, will hear, is that work is not noble. As a matter of fact, work is demeaning. Blisters and calluses on the hand, dirt under the fingernails, scabs on the knees, Sunburn, all this that is acquainted with, with noble manual work is not in the view of the intellectuals in our society, and it's getting to be more and more. In college especially, you're going to, your children are going to hear that it is demeaning to actually have to work with your hands. We should leave it to those who are of lower level that aren't smart enough 
to do better. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God says. God says work is noble. Work is good. Work is elevating. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise out of your sleep? Now that's not popular to think that it's noble to go to work and plow a field. That it's noble to go to work and work by the sweat of your brow. That's not popular. You need to get to the point where you don't have to work. And then you're better off if you don't have to work. That's not, that's like I say, that's, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God said. In Proverbs 19.15, Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor, de- nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. Mary, remember, Jesus made friends with the, some young people. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And uh, when Jesus was preparing the last week of his life, he was preparing to face, face the cross of Calvary and die, Mary came... They, they, paid, they had a supper for him in Bethany. And Mary came in and she took a box of ointment and she began putting the ointment on him and the oil in his hair and, and taking care of him. And Judas Iscariot, because he kept the, kept the bag, criticized her. said, you, you shouldn't do this. You should keep this money. You sell this, put this money in the bag and give it to the poor. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Anyway, the point is, he, he then said to Mary, he said, she has done this good work for my burial. She went to work. Why? Because she was moved by the touch of Jesus. She worked, and Jesus said this was a good work. Jesus had this advice that was given by the apostles in the New Testament, Ephesians 4.28, says, let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor, working with his hands. Now that's contrary to today's philosophy. Matter of fact, you'll, you will hear it if you haven't heard it already. It's called despicably and with great dis- disgust. It's called the Protestant principle. You know what that is? Working with your own hands. That's the Protestant principle and higher educators Hold that in low esteem. Working with your hands. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Let him that stole, don't steal anymore, but work with your hands. The thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, it says, Study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. The Apostle Paul, which many people consider to be the greatest preacher of all time. You know what he did? Whenever he came to a community, he worked with his hands and supported himself. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 18, and I think it's about verse 3, it says he, came, he, he took up residence with Priscilla and Aquila, and because their business was tent makers, he worked with his hands with them. 
Okay. Jesus touched this woman. She got up and she went to work. When he touches you, you'll get up and go to work. You will. Two blind men were touched by Jesus on occasion. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 31, it says, When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this? And they said, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes. He touched them. He touched their eyes, saying, According to your flesh, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knows it. Don't tell anybody what I did. Don't tell anybody what I did. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his, his fame in all the country. They went out talking about it. When you're touched by Jesus, you know what you're going to do? You're going to tell somebody about it. If you don't tell them, you haven't been touched. That's the point. Well, there was a leper that was touched by Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 44 says, There came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved the compassion, put his, forth his hand, and touched him and said, I will be clean. Put forth his hand, touched him. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. He straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. And he said unto him, Don't say anything to any man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and, and offer your cleansing, those things that Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was, was without in the desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. It appears that the blind men and the leper could not keep their mouth shut about Jesus because he touched them. He touched them. They couldn't wait to tell everybody what Jesus had done to them. They went out preaching and showing what Jesus had done. It's not unusual for a saved person to tell someone else. You know what happened? Last night, I was reading the Word of God, and I read where I needed to be baptized in, the, in His name, and I was baptized into Jesus Christ, and I came up out of the water, and I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. Telling their friend. Telling their family. Telling people around them. Because Jesus touched them. What Jesus has done for them, most of the time it's apparent because your life changes. But even so, it's hard to keep your salvation a secret when Jesus reaches into your life. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, right after the church first started, when it first began, everybody kind of stuck together. They were happy. They were celebrating. They were saved. And then something happened. Saul the apostle, or Saul the the, the Pharisee persecuted them and it said that they were scattered abroad. They were scattered. And it said they went everywhere preaching the gospel. These people had been touched by Jesus. Even Saul, who became Paul, is a good example of that. 
You remember the story in Acts chapter 9, the story is given where, G, where Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians and bring them back bound to Jerusalem. He had letters of authority for the, from the authorities to do this. And he was halted on his way because of a great light that shone above him. And he said, he said uh, when, when, uh, when he was arrested, then, then the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And immediately he was told, he said, Go into the city of Damascus to a street that's called Straight and ask for Ananias and he'll come to you and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. You know what what was happening was Saul, heart, his heart was open. Jesus touched him. And at that point he said, I, I, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And he did what he was told. And when Ananias came to him, he told him to rise and be baptized, wash away your sins. And he did. And you know what he did right after that? In Acts chapter 9, at verse 20, it says, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. The first thing he did when he, when he, when he was, when, his, when the scales fell from his eyes and he was baptized and he rose from the waters of baptism, he had to go tell the story about Jesus. All that heard him, it says, were amazed and said, Isn't this the one that destroyed them that called on his name in Jerusalem? And he came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased them more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Jerusalem, proving that this is the very Christ. Jesus decreed. Jesus decreed that the gospel... The word of salvation was to go forth on the wings of the messengers, and the messengers were those whom Jesus had touched. Those who were saved. That's how it was to be spread. Romans 10 at verse 13 through 15 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then what happens? How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without someone to tell the story. Someone's got to tell the story. Well, I'll tell you what, the person that's touched is going to tell that story. They're going to go tell it. And how shall they preach except to be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good, glad tidings of good things. Let me give you one other illustration, one other illustration of someone whom Jesus physically touched. It was a crippled woman. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 13, gives us the, the example, gives us the story. And it says, He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This is Jesus. And behold, there was a woman who would have, which had a spirit of infirmity. Eighteen years. She's bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. When Jesus saw her, He called her to Him and said unto her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. She glorified God. You don't do that silently. She glorified God. She fell down before him, I'm sure, and she worshiped, and she recognized that he was the God of heaven and earth, that he was the Savior. She glorified him. Now her response was a great deal like the, the uh, response 
that another man had, a blind man had, that's found in the book of John chapter 9. Now what she did was, she recognized the majesty of Jesus. She recognized who he was. She glorified him. And I'm, I'm sure you understand what that means. She recognized that he was the son of God. That he was the Christ. That he came from heaven. That he was to be worshipped and adored. One other, one other guy that's like her. In John chapter 9, there was a fellow that was blind. And he sat begging. He was in the city of Jerusalem. He was begging. And this was on the, day, on the Sabbath day. So he was there begging. And Jesus came along. And uh, he knew the man was blind. And he came to him and he made some mud out of clay with his, with his saliva. Then he put it on his eyes, actually touched his eyes. And the man could see. He, washed, he told him, go wash yourself and see. So the man went over in the pool and he washed his eyes up. But Jesus was gone. He wasn't there. He left. So the man didn't even see him. Washed his eyes out. But he began to tell everybody that somebody made relieved his blindness. And people recognized that that was him. He'd been there for years and years and years. They recognized that he was born blind. So then the, then the Pharisees came to him and said, who did this? He said, I, I don't know, a man named Jesus. That's all he knew, a man named Jesus. They, they said, well, how did it happen? And he told them. He, they, they said, oh, this, this isn't true. It couldn't be. And so they went and questioned his parents. They said, what happened? Who had, how, how did this go about? And they, they were afraid to say anything because they'd be put out of the synagogue. And so they, they, they couldn't answer or would not answer. So then they went back to the man himself. And they asked him again, said, how did this man do this? Who was he and how did he do it? And he, he began to explain. He said, do you want to be a disciple too? And it made him mad. So they cast him out of the synagogue. Here was the man. All he knew was this fellow by the name of Jesus had given him a sight back. That's all he knew. Now, let's take up the, the story. In John chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out of the synagogue. They cast him out. Jesus got wind of it. When he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? And the man said, Who is he, Lord? He didn't know. That I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That was the impression he had. Jesus touched this man, and this man worshipped him. In each of these instances recorded in the gospel story of Jesus, those who were touched by him had a reaction. They had a reaction. I would almost say it was something they could not avoid, something that they could not uh, refuse. Almost. I'm not sure. But I do know. When the woman, Peter's mother-in-law, was touched, and he put her, picked her up by the hand, she went to work. 
she went to work. I know that. And I know, I know that when, when uh, Jesus healed the blind men and the leper, that they couldn't help. They went out immediately. We've got to tell somebody. We've got to tell somebody. We've got to tell everybody, as a matter of fact. We're going to tell the story of Jesus. We're going to tell the story. That's how the gospel started, by the way. We know that. And we know that when Jesus healed the woman who was crippled, and we healed the blind man that couldn't see, that the first thing that happened with them was that they glorified God and they worshipped Jesus. In each of these instances recorded in the gospel story, those who were touched by him had a reaction. He had a wonderful effect on their lives for the better. And their lives had a wonderful effect on the lives of others for the better. Their lives were made better and they improve the lives of those who are around them. So, when you're touched by Jesus, when you read the record, when you open your heart, and you read the story of Jesus, simple story, He will touch you. And you'll know it. You'll know it when you get up and go to work. When you don't lay around and expect somebody else to take care of you, you'll go to work. You'll know it when you feel like you've got to let other people know how good He is and what He has done for you, you'll know it when you feel like you just have to worship Him and hold His name high in your life and say, Lord, You are God, and I worship and glorify You. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.